parents, caregivers are the most important thing in a child's life. And if you are balancing out everything else, television will find its appropriate place. Trust that you are raising a little human being in the making. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I am your host. Today, we are talking about screen time, but I'm approaching it from a different angle. I'm not talking to a researcher or a clinician. We're not going to look at the studies around it, but we're going to understand what goes into the production and creation of a TV show and how somebody considers your child's developmental stage and the curriculum when developing a TV show. I'm super excited for this talk. The person that I will be interviewing has an amazing bio. I've never read a bio like this where somebody's so involved in such pivotal and important TV shows that we all know of. So I'm going to get to her bio very soon. But first, I would like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. The Neuro is the first health sciences institution in the world to commit to open science, an approach to research that ensures scientific knowledge is shared widely and transparently. If you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to rate the Curious Neuron podcast and to leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. Let me know when you do this. Take a screenshot and send it to me at info at curiousneuron.com. You could also send it to me by DM on Instagram, but there's a chance it gets stuck in my DMs. So I would uh, suggest that you do email it. And I will send you the tantrum PDF that we have. That is this, uh, it's called Meltdown Mountain. And it's a visual that you could print to help your child learn how to sort of navigate and understand emotions, all emotions. And it also comes with this printout that is a toolbox to to help them understand what can you do when you're starting to climb up the mountain. So send me an email at info at kirsten.com and I will gladly send you this PDF for free. It's up on our academy on our website, kirsten.com, if you do want to purchase it. And if you haven't done so yet, you can follow Kirsten on Instagram at curious underscore neuron. We post every single day. We have posts on um, your child's brain development. We have posts on parenting research that is out there. Um, You name it, it's there. And we are there to help you, as you know, uh, to summarize research that'll help you make parenting decisions and hopefully make things a little bit easier for you. I'm going to move on to today's episode because the interview is uh, a longer one, but just so interesting to listen to. Today, I will be speaking with Cheryl Godhef. She is well-known and respected in the education, research, and entertainment industries. Cheryl is an accomplished curriculum and content developer, child development expert, and qualitative researcher. She helps companies create children's media brands that are engaging, educational, and relevant to children's lives. She is devoted to the creation of the highest quality media experiences for children and families across all platforms and for global audiences. So let's just have a look at her her CV and name a few TV shows that she has been involved. And then you're going to start saying, wait a second, I know like three quarters of these. (laughs) Cheryl's consulting practice includes working with original and well-known brands like American Girls, Welly Wishers, Barbies, Dreamtopia, Lego Life, Thomas and the Tank Engine, Highlights for Children, 
the cat in the hat knows a lot about that. She has held executive positions at Sesame Workshop, Scholastic, Nickelodeon's Noggin, and ABC Television, among others. I'm excited to find out what happens behind the scene and what they need to think of. So let's move on to today's episode. And I'm here now with Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Hey, Cindy. Nice to see you. It is so nice to speak with you and welcome to the podcast. I am excited to speak about your topic. And, you know, usually I just hop into the topic and, and discuss it. Today we're talking about screen time. But today you are the topic as well. I am fascinated by your bio and can't wait to kind of understand the back end or the of what happens, you know, when a TV show is developed, you know, and how that fits into screen time. Parents had a lot of questions. I posted this on our Instagram account. And a lot of the questions had to do with what's the right show? What's the wrong show? What's the right amount of time? What's the wrong amount of time? And looking back and stepping back and really looking at all these questions, I think that we maybe think that screen time and TV is either a black or white thing and that there isn't an in-between. And I'm curious to hear about your point of view for all of this as well. Um, But I think that there's a lot of in-between and a lot of factors that play into this. So screen time isn't uh, the bad guy. And I'm hoping that we learn a lot about this from you. So before we begin, um, can you talk a little bit about how you got into all of this, where you're the behind the scenes person for these TV shows. Goodness. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm an educator by training. And um, I uh, was really very academically oriented. Until I worked, I, I walked into ABC television, and went to my first screening as an educator of a, a behind the scenes, live action show, then called Kids Are People 2. And the rest is history. I fell in love. (laughs) I fell in love with the energy of it. I (laughs) I fell in love with the intention of it. I fell in love with all of the possibilities um, that it offered. I I actually go as far back as working on things like Schoolhouse Rock and after school specials and weekend specials. And all of that work was very much about the question, you know, sort of like how what good can television do? Um, Back then uh, it was very popular. It still is popular to throw, um, to throw things at television or to to place a lot of blame on television. But what I learned very early in my career um, was the power of television um, to do so much. And then I went back and did my master's degree in uh, at Columbia university teachers college um, as, and was trained as a researcher and as a, a, a child development expert. And I've been applying that work to real life media ever since. Real life meaning actual media in production. How how does that, so how does your background fit into this in, in terms of the TV shows, right? So I do tell parents, we need to be mindful of the quality of a TV show because it has to be developmentally appropriate. How does that fit in with what you do when you step in to, to help out? Yeah, um, so there's two themes that come up for me all the time. The first theme is everything teaches something. It doesn't matter <laughs> if true. you're watching Harry Potter or you're at the theater watching Hamilton. Um, and mm. Everything teaches something. The question is, what message are the children receiving? Mm. And so whether it's a purely entertainment show um, or it's a curriculum-based show with, or it has just something in the middle with educational messages. All of it teaches something. And to me, I have key questions that I look at um, that I'm asking, and you hit on the first one, which is, um, is it age appropriate? Mm. 
on, is it developmentally appropriate? You know, actually, the biggest question that people come to me with, um, and it's so interesting to me, uh, or I ask them, who's your target audience? And I have all kinds of answers that I get. I get, well, everybody's going to love this. Or Hmm. I get, oh, well, this is for kids 2 to 11. And the first step in our process is to say 2 to 11 is not a a demographic um, when it comes, when you think about it developmentally. And so a lot of effort goes into helping the writers, the producers, the directors understand the different age groups that we're talking about, and then find the place that really is appropriate from, for the kinds of stories that they want to tell. I'm assuming just the language in itself, right? If you think about a two or three-year-old versus 11-year-old, you can't speak the same way and you can't even introduce a topic the same way. Absolutely correct. So when people say, oh, it's for kids 6 to 11, I said, well, maybe that's for Nielsen who does their ratings that way. Mm. But let's just think about this for a minute. A Mm. six-year-old is losing their baby teeth Mm -hmm. and an 11-year-old is getting their first pimple. Mm. (laughs) It's true. It's Um, true. Yeah. So often, and even when we break things down further, Mm. um, so people will say, well, it's a preschool show. And then my question is, which end of the preschool continuum is your bullseye? Mm. So another example would be, and we do this a lot, a three-year-old is learning to count. A six-year-old can probably count backwards with three digits. Mm -hmm. A three-year-old is uh, learning uh, about time by experience. So nap time. Yes. Uh, bedtime, mm. bath time, but they don't tell time yet. No. Whereas a six or seven year old is learning to tell time. So even within the demographics that we break things down to, which are usually preschool, so let's call it two to five, primary grades, grades one, two, and three, mm. and upper elementary. So, you know, uh, grades four to six. Mm-hmm. What, what are the really visible things to look at in those demographics and how does the show creative content stack up against it? Mm-hmm. So if you think about them, all three grades, well, all three age levels in terms of reading, preschoolers are emergently literate. And we'll talk about literacy and, and television mm-hmm. in, in a minute. Yes, uh, Primary grade kids are actually learning to read. And the upper elementary kids are reading to learn. So they're, mm-hmm. they're going into much more content-based uh, content. So mm-hmm. they might be reading social studies, for example. But their, their reading skills, if they're on grade level, are put, teeing them up to be successful with that. Mm-hmm. So my understanding of their development is applied directly in the creative process. I love that. I'm thinking also of the parent now that's listening and saying, okay, (laughs) that's a lot. Now, how do I judge or how do I evaluate or assess a TV show that my child is watching? Is it just rated? If I look at the number, right, or the the rating for Y7 and all, do they take all of that into account, what you just said? Or is it specific TV shows or channels that will take that into account more than others? Well, we live in a world with more great choices for media than ever before. And even the channels, whether it's a streamer or it's a broadcaster or it's a cable caster, um, they break the shows down into developmentally appropriate pockets these days. Mm -hmm. So you can tell 
what's there for preschoolers on PBS Kids. Most of it is preschool. Yes. yes. On Disney Junior or Playhouse Disney, they have a, a, a junior block, as does Nick. Um, and, um, you know, it's harder when you get to the six plus ages. Um, and then what I always talk to parents about is trusting yourself. You know your child. True. No one knows your child better than you do. You know what interests them. You know what skills they're working on. You know what they've mastered. And so when you're looking at content, you're looking through that incredibly sophisticated lens you've been developing mm. since those little muskrats arrived in your, uh, arrived in your <laughs> life. Um, and so my first rule is, is trust yourself. Um, trust what you know about your child. You know a lot. And just like it's true of children where we want to use prior knowledge, it's the same for parents. We want you to use what you know um, as a skill and a strategy. Then there are tools and resources like like your, your world, um, Cindy, and mm -hmm. also places like Common Sense Media. Yes, true. So you can search on so many different criteria on a site like Common Sense Media. Yes. And they have a pretty sophisticated criteria system for looking at content. And they give ratings, uh, parent reviews, and kid reviews of pretty much everything that's out there. Um, I find them to be a really reliable source um, when it comes to sort of understanding what's appropriate for the age, what kind of quality th there is. Um, and then, uh, you know, I have key questions that I'm happy to share that I ask. So if I'm reading a story Bible, which is basically the foundation of a show, or I'm reading a story premise, which is just a little plot summary, um, I'm asking myself, um, is there a curriculum? And if there is a curriculum, is that is the writer drawing from that curriculum um, to give an age-appropriate takeaway message? Is it age-appropriate? What do I mean by that? Uh, is the language that's used, is the theme that they're talking about, is the humor appropriate to that age? So for a three-year-old, you, get, you can get an absolute belly laugh. And parents know this because they play with their children by putting a sock on my ear and saying, well, I'm ready to go outside in the cold now. <laughs> yes, um, it's true. But by the time a child is six or seven, um, their humor still thinks that's pretty silly. But it's not the same belly laugh because they are a little mm -hmm. more sophisticated now and they understand some of the basic principles of a knock-knock joke. And they, it may be very silly, maybe knock, knock, who's there, banana. I don't like bananas. Um, <laughs> so they've got part of the format right. Yeah. Uh, but, but they are emergently, uh, they're becoming a little more verbal, but they don't understand puns yet. Mm -hmm. Any parent watching something with their kids will say, mm, she's not following that. It's true. So it's really trusting a little bit more of what you already know. Um, what kind of content is are they treating and does, how does it relate to what your child knows and doesn't know? Because if they are, it doesn't relate well to their prior knowledge, then their ability to understand it um, is going to be limited. How do the visuals support what's going on in the verbal? If the visuals don't support what's going on verbally, chances are your child's attention will be lost. Um, and if you wanted them to take away something, their attention, if their attention is lost, so is their comprehension. Is it emotionally relevant? So for example, I had a, a show that I was working on and there was a whole, it was a preschool show. 
But the whole episode was about a guy and his hairdo. And the question I had was, is the bullseye of your audience, is the four-year-old really worrying about his hair that much? Or is that much more of an adolescent issue or a pre-adolescent issue? So is it emotionally relevant? Is it something that's going on in that child's life? What might be going in that child's life? Maybe they haven't realized that when they steal their brother's truck, it's going to elicit a certain kind of reaction. (laughs) So maybe something that's in their life, which is sharing and playing fair, Mm -hmm. would be a better topic um, Mm -hmm. for a script. Um, The use of everyday routines. So many people in the creative fields feel like, oh, you know, it's so boring to do the kitchen Let's go to Peru and really expose them to the rainforest and to exotic things. It's like, but a preschooler really doesn't need that. A preschooler wants to see the familiar. They want to see routines and they love repetition. So these are some of the kinds of things that I'm thinking about. What kind of behavior is being modeled and is it behavior you want to see your child um, doing when they resolve problems? Is there a takeaway message Um, or is it just a little button at the end that they're never going to remember? And is whatever conflict is there and stories are about conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Is it resolved by the story's end for preschoolers? That's okay. When you get into upper elementary, they can deal with things like cliffhangers. Mm -hmm. So they're very, very different um, developmental criteria that we think of, but it's really about knowing your kid. And you don't need to be a developmental psychologist to do that. You can be um, a caregiver. You can be a parent. um, As long as you're paying attention um, to what's going on for them, um, you're a great assessor of children's media. I love that you've brought in the parent because there is a lot of research around co-viewing with young kids, five and under, and the importance of that. But I also know from as a parent and a mom of three, that sometimes we use screen time to say, okay, here, have a seat. I will step away, get something done and be back. But we do have to be mindful of that because, you know, it's okay to use it to step away, but being there and being present and knowing what they're watching and just taking the moment to see, you know, what that TV show is all about. And, you know, with what you just told me, asking all those questions and trying to make sure that it's, you know, aligned with these questions, I think is so important for us to do. And perhaps a first step for a TV show that, you know, sometimes I step in and my kids explore, they can click on anything now, right? It's not like I think back to my old days, but like to the, when I was watching TV, whatever was on, you had, we had like maybe six, seven channels and that's whatever was there, you know, you didn't have a choice, but now the world is, I mean, they can watch anything they want if they're on YouTube or Netflix or, you know, um, Disney plus, um, and every once in a while, when I step in, I see that they're watching something that might be a little bit older, not necessarily like for teens, but you could tell that the language is different. Mm-hmm. The I think it was some sort of show that they were, I don't know if it was Barbie or I don't know what, but they were clearly like older and, and into different things. And, and my kids couldn't relate. And I said, okay, let's bring it back. There's a three-year-old, you know, let's go back to our, our, our Mickey Mouse and, and other things that I know that are appropriate for the young one. Um, but it really is important to look at that. And another thing that really struck me is the fact that you spoke about the speed or was it the language and the, the screens because I think of the research that talks about like the speed of the language and the speed of the um, scene changes that's very important too for us to think about so yeah uh, I don't know where to begin you've said so many interesting things but how about um, 
from your point of view, even as somebody who's, you know, behind the scenes, what do you recommend to parents who really look at screen time as something to step away from, like their children and to get things done? Um, Okay, so the first thing I would say is throw away your shame and guilt. Yes, it's true. Yes. (laughs) It doesn't really help anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if when you are, are using media uh, so that you can chop the carrots for dinner. Um, yes. Then it's really what you said to me, and you said it really well, which is um, just be aware of what, what they're watching um, mm-hmm. and that it's appropriate. You also touched on something really powerfully influential in children's lives, siblings. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yes. the first <laughs> child, um, you know, it's I'm never going to buy plastic toys. They're not going <laughs> to have exactly. any screen time. If they do, organic food. It's going to be written by a PhD in chemistry. Yes. Um, well, <laughs> by the time the second one comes along, uh, first of all, your your first one is more experienced, and then your time is divided. But by the time mm-hmm. you have three, like you, right, <laughs> three, five, and seven. Yes. Tell me who's yes. in charge of the controller. <laughs> my my seven year old, <laughs> exactly. So all yeah. of a sudden, the biggest influence in terms of the media choices starts to be driven by the oldest sibling in the household, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so we need to be mindful of that because uh, sometimes what can happen is that the youngest one's needs or emotional needs or you know things that are scary to them aren't paid attention to. Yes. So awareness. Mm-hmm of sort of mm. what's being watched. Um, and there are some things for, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds that are fine um, for younger kids. They may not understand them that well, but they won't, they're not going to fright them or get, frighten them or give them uh, nightmares. So mm-hmm. screen time gets a really, um, a really bad name. Uh, and for me, I, I am a big advocate of appropriate um, use of media but it's mm-hmm. like anything else when you're a parent. It's about balance. Yes, um, true. And so, and what people don't think, parents don't think about as as much, or what you can do with it. So, for example, you mentioned co-viewing. Co-viewing is really powerful. What? Why? Well, I mean, what do kids want? They want connection to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives you the ability to have conversations about it. So if you think about media as just another form of literacy, right? You don't worry about how many books you're going to read to your child. But what you do when you read a book to a child, you can take those literacy skills and you can apply them to um, linear media, to digital media. So you could ask a kid to look at the cover of a book and say, huh, what do you think this book is about? No, there's a picture of yes. there's a picture of the baby bird on the front. Um, well, what do you think might happen to the baby bird? I don't know. The baby. And so those are prediction skills. What do you think might happen at the end of the story? Um, pausing in a story and saying, hmm, did you understand what just happened? Um, so comprehension skills. Or I'm not going to tell you any of the words on this page. We're just going to look at the picture. What do you think the picture is telling you? Any kind of, those are all uh, literacy skills. They can all be applied um, to watching television. Um, 
It can influence your dinner conversation. Um, you can talk about other things that are like it, make comparisons. And best of all, and it's such a surprising present, um, is to see how it comes up in your children's play. Yes. Oh, they mimic everything. They become the characters. Or, and that's a beautiful skill. Yeah. They, or maybe they're reinventing the character for themselves. Maybe, I mean, who loves pretend play more than a four-year-old? In fact, <laughs> a four-year-old is frequently being somebody else. They might it's true. <laughs> be being the baby. They might be being the mommy. They might be being the teacher. Um, they're trying roles on all the time. Hmm, what happens if they want to be Gecko Girl from PJ Masks? Oh, yes. What is what does that look like in their play? What if they're playing Doc McStuffins? <laughs> what kind of play is that? That's probably nurturing play. There's rescue play, but there's probably some, I don't know. People count it differently between seven and ten sort of evergreen play patterns. Mm -hmm. And watching how children start to play with the media gives you great insight into what their takeaways are. And by the way, that may not happen the same day or even the same week as what they watched. It could be that it, you see it at a random time and you don't even necessarily make the connection. Where'd that come from? But eventually, if you watch enough of their media and share their experience, you'll start to know pretty well where that came from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you'll also know if you like it or you don't like it. But if you observe it, you can talk about it. I love that you said share their experience. That really stands out to me um, because you do that when you read books together. And I love that you are taking this take and this approach to media because I believe it too that we can, we can share the experience with them. And, you know, like my kids, you mentioned PJ Masks, they, they were into that show very heavily and we would just play their three. So it's perfect. It's two boys and a girl in my house. So it was perfect for them. They would really get into it. And then they would take turns too, being um, Owlette. They, they absolutely love that. And, you know, they would bring me into it. Okay, you're the, the, the villain and you have to do this. And they, the importance of them being in control of play is so important for their development. And if we just see it that way and we mix screen time with playtime and connection time, then all of that just fits in together so beautifully. And I, I love that this is the message you're giving because I think a lot of parents do have um, uh, guilt ar around screen time. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, we could look at the studies and also realize, sure, there's less outdoor time. Things have changed and I get that. And it's not to say that I don't um, support outdoor time. I think it's very important. But I don't want parents to have guilt. I want them to, you know, especially the past two years have been beyond anything we've we've ever experienced. Right. And I always tell parents when you can change the home environment and make it, you know, uh, more outdoor time on the weekend, perhaps do it. But when if you're working and you have two kids at home and you don't have a choice, it's okay. Focus on your work and then bring them outside after dinner or on the weekend or whatever you can. Um, so I, I love that that's your message as well. And less is more. Um, you know, it's like uh, understand what they're watching, understand what they're they're attracted to. Make it your business to watch. You don't have to watch everything yes. with them, but no. watch a bit enough so mm -hmm. that you know to ask what to ask questions of. Kids love to be the expert. Yes, even just asking them after it's done. So what happened? That simple question, and then 
sometimes you'll notice like for me because of the age ranges um when they were maybe last year you know what the oldest would say well, well this happened and that happened i would say okay let your brothers tell me a story you know let, let the middle child talk and then he'd start well i think that person and then they're recalling that's a cognitive skill so that's really important for them as well and then we would sometimes draw out like we draw like a cartoon Perfect. and like squares on a large paper and then like connect like the 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 idea of a story, the villain and the good guys and how are they going to rescue? What's the problem? What are they solving? Like you mentioned, those are lots of skills that they need to learn for preschool and before they start school. And we can do that as parents. Well, I just love the fact that you um, were having them draw what they saw. Um, so no matter how they do that, that's another. They're them re-representing what they saw in art um, or in yes. finger painting or whatever it is, yeah. um, is a very big way to start bolstering up what they're getting on, out of it mm -hmm. and building on it. Um, so, you know, and they can do it in so many creative ways. You know, if you have crayons in your house, great. There's another thing that I've seen in really good preschools called um, loose parts, so, yes. Have you played with that? Right. Yes. So if you have loose parts in your house and you organize them, so you have the, the paper towel holders in this little mm -hmm. cubby and you have the tops to those yogurt drinky things that are so colorful. Exactly. You, have those, you have a yes. bunch of stuff that are just, it's just recycled stuff that's coming through your exactly. house. And you have something like that for the kids to, to draw on in their creativity all of a sudden, the way they're able to re-represent what they're seeing, what they're understanding is bolstered. So, And it doesn't have to be expensive. It's just the resources and modeling that this is a way that you can express yourself um, can be really powerful. And whether it's entertainment media um, or it's curricular media, um, that continuum all has something valuable to contribute. So I work on shows that are purely entertainment. Um, and on those, my job is really to do two things, um, to look at comprehension, can they understand it? Mm. And to look at appeal. So my, my hair example, mm. um, vanity yes. is just not a four-year-old issue. Um, so that's what we work on just on a purely entertainment show, because we want it to be interesting to the audience and we want it to be age appropriate. We want characters with issues that are relatable um, and stories that they can understand. On the other end, with when it's curriculum, a lot of times really good curriculum comes out of a need in the world. So for example, when we did Clifford the Big Red Dog, um, it was a oh, book that. series, right? Um, mm -hmm. And um, it was just sweet little stories, but we wanted to make it more of a learning show uh, when we, we actually went from books to television. So um, we had learned early childhood people at that moment in time were finding that kids were coming to school without as many social skills as they would like. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to create Clifford's Big Ideas. That was our curriculum to really bolster up. Uh, and write stories about the kinds of social issues that preschoolers get involved with. When we worked on the Magic School Bus, the very original series was um, came up with uh, the brainchild of a brilliant editor. And he'll laugh at this, but he was um, he was looking at the book clubs, uh, and it was, nobody was buying books 
that were about science. And they were like, you know, the old books about science. They were, you know, I don't know, electricity or baby mm-hmm. chicks. You know, they buy baby chicks, but they wouldn't buy anything that looked like science. And he was like, well, what if we came up with a series um, because kids need early introduction to science. It's very foundational for them, but they don't get it. Um, that was that one quirky teacher in that class that always had something gurgling or bubbling or an interesting <laughs> animal or maybe people, the children were all playing with ramps and cars and experimenting or running around the, the, the classroom in their socks, experimenting with, with friction. <laughs> um, I have the picture of my elementary school teacher. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> and they came up with Miss Bristle. Yeah. Um, yes, I love it. And that. so when we brought it to television, we, we felt, um, we, we read, we knew that there was a need out there, particularly for girls and for minority kids mm-hmm. who were opting out of science early on. They were not seeing science as an endeavor that was open to their participation. Um, and so th- they became our priorities. And the idea was how do we make science accessible, interesting, relevant, um, and hands-on, experiential, not about a man in a white lab coat, not about an experiment that felt impossibly remote from your experience. How do you do experiments in your bathtub with floaters and sinkers? Um, So those are just two examples of something emerging out of a need. Does everything? No, not everything does. But do some of the best ones um, emerge out of need? Yeah, a lot of them do. And then you have things that are sort of universal needs. So there's a very cute show from Sesame Workshop called uh, Esme and Roy. Hmm, I haven't seen that. Oh, I think you'd love it, Cindy. <laughs> it, it is about it, it is a basically about a little girl whose job it is to um, to babysit monsters. Oh, and. <laughs> Uh, you know, the monsters have one particularly salient issue, self-regulation. <laughs> they can't, I already love it. <laughs> they, they can't control themselves. So self-regulation, <laughs> self-control is something that all preschoolers and even school age can struggle with. Mm-hmm. This just took that very simple skill <laughs> that is so hard to master and made it front and center of a mm-hmm. curriculum-based show. Um, so, uh, you know, I think as long as we've been here and well after self-regulation is going to be an issue. (laughs) It always will. (laughs) But you know, what's fascinating is you're talking about the curriculum based TV shows. And I think you're bringing up points that parents might not think about. We might not think of those social emotional skills from the parents that I've worked with and, and spoken to. I think that we often think of ABCs and reading and learning and one, two, threes and counting and colors and shapes, but those are important. However, these social emotional skills are extremely important for preschool kids. And I love that these are being integrated into TV shows. They're being integrated. They're being integrated well. And honestly, Mm. at the end of the day, one of the effects we see with COVID and preschool Mm. is that the kids are really having a, a tough time and the parents are having a tough time uh, because so much of the work of preschool is social it's social emotional it's learning who i am in relationship to the world how i navigate relationships with others how i enter a play group how i don't enter a play group um so that social social emotional stuff is massively uh important to their readiness for kindergarten so 
social emotional shows are not a throwaway. It does not have to be about, about what, what you identified, which are cognitive skills. Mm-hmm. Those are important too, um, mm-hmm. but you, you can't even get at those uh, if you don't have any uh, idea how to navigate your social world. Mm-hmm. You uh, touched a little bit on um, early elementary school, and I'd love to talk about that in case there are some parents I know that are listening who who might be thinking, okay, now it's changing. We're not looking at Paw Patrol anymore, and we're not looking at you know Mickey Mouse Clubhouse Things are changing in our home, and uh, you gave us, uh, uh, you know, some questions that we can ask ourselves. Do they apply to the early, early elementary school as well, or would it change for you, uh, especially in terms of curriculum? Uh, the things that change are that the, those children don't need um, routines and repetition as much, so mm-hmm. they actually are much better at regulating themselves. Mm-hmm. So you know, in preschool, right, going from Playtime to nap time can result in tantrums of epic proportion. <laughs> yes. Because they have difficulty with transitions. Any yes. parent of a preschool knows that. Mm-hmm. But by the time they're six, they're much better at regulating themselves. And so they may grumble, but they don't fall apart. And again, everything I'm talking about, are these are ranges. These are ranges of normative you're always going to see somebody who is um, on the earlier emergent end, who's three, and on um, the much more sophisticated end, who's also three. But one of the things we see and we forget to, to, to appreciate it is the difference between our children who are going to school in September and in January. Mm. It is almost like a different species <laughs> um, because kids leapfrog in their development pretty much every six months. But what they're able to do when they're in those primary grades is qualitatively different than the stuff that they're working on. But that said, they still need content that's age appropriate. That's So what happens when you get into primary grades? You're navigating your social world away from your parents more. Does that mean that uh, kids need to be snarky and parents need to be stupid? No, it does not because those primary grade kids are still very attached to their families. Um, In fact, parents, caregivers are the most, in fact, across everything, the most important thing in a child's life. And if you are balancing out everything else, television will find its appropriate place. I love that. You know, I want to bring up this new TV show that you worked on, Luna, Chip, and Inky. Oh, yes. I love it. I was introduced to it uh, a little while back now, and my kids are enjoying it. And I think that there are topics that are just really important to kids. There was an episode uh, where one of the characters, Bert, who um, has an exam that day and is worried about that, you know, and I, I think back to what we just had as a discussion and what was the thinking that went into that and, and how do you develop these sort of scenarios? Thinking about children, you know, and, and thinking, I guess, I'm assuming of the takeaways, you know, and how they could apply this in their everyday life. I'd love to hear how that was created, a little bit more about that show as well. Yeah, well, that show is really uh, very special um, and it's really starred in by a characters who are motivated by one thing, and that is helping each other and others Mm -hmm. in their community. It's a very community-oriented show. Uh, The beginning is the creative, and then the question becomes, what does the creative lend itself to in a child's life? Mm -hmm. So having characters who were already invented when I came on board, who were motivated to help, already gave us a leg up and said, okay, 
So this is really going to be very much about their social world and what can they learn in their social world. So the characters are, were helping Bert in the episode you talked about. Bert was having anxiety. So we were seeing um, that somebody is, is struggling with something, but that person was surrounded, a character was surrounded by others who were motivated to help him get through it. Um, and be successful in the end. And so many strategies and skills get built into that, like using what you already know, like uh, being able to understand that if you ask a question, you might get some valuable information that you didn't know already. You'd be surprised um, at how few children think to ask a question. It's true. Yeah. Mm. Teamwork is at the core of many, many episodes. Um but there's always skills, strategies, tools for them to take on challenging experiences in their lives. Um, we model things like persistence. So what does it mean to be a try, try againer? Um, and not somebody who just says, oh, stinky, you know, yeah. I'm just go, <laughs> going to go off in my corner and play my, with my Legos because mm. um, I couldn't <laughs> do it. You have to remember that, you know, children, even in first grade, there's so many things that are within an adult's purview that aren't their bread and butter that they can't do yet, that they need help with. I love that. You know, even with the early elementary school and these topics and these skills that you're mentioning, it comes back to the parent as well, right? Where you kind of, you know, have this discussion with your child. And then if something happens at school and they come back home and they're like, this happened and I was nervous, or I noticed that my friend was worried or nervous or anxious about something you can take these topics and these TV shows like Luna, Chip and Inky and apply it to them and bring that into your um, conversation. Because as a parent, I know that sometimes it's not easy to know how to discuss certain topics with their kids or what to say. And I think that sometimes these TV shows that are educational, that are good quality TV shows, we could use that as our model and say, oh, yeah, I remember what happened in that TV show. I could bring that in because you, you know, you have a team that put the thought into all of this for us as parents. So I, I love that idea of also like making sure that we can bring it back and use that as a discussion with our kids. And notice the creative devices that are used. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you have really adorable and um, characters who are easy to relate to. Right. Mm -hmm. You have age appropriate stories. But then there are some really wonderful things that also happen. If you sit back and notice, huh, so so their world is populated by a vi very diverse group. We have kids that are the characters that are the same age as the audience. We have older characters. We have much older characters. Um, and they all come together to show that a community is made up of diverse individuals. So there is a backdrop. And you're seeing things that have an influence, um, but we're not walking out and screaming, diversity, it's really important to have one of everything. Exactly. It's really yeah. knit into the fabric mm -hmm. of the stories and the world. Another thing is uh, humor. Mm -hmm. So what better way to make it manageable to fail than to be able to kind of do in a fun context and everything works out in the end. So in our toolkit of devices that Luna Chip and Inky uses um, are things like humor, um, storytelling. Another one, uh, the, the context of different backgrounds and personalities all getting to get living together and con contributing to their community. And then a superpower of that show are the musical numbers. 
Yes, I was going to bring it's true. There are so many of them. It's yeah. The music and, my kids love it. <laughs> right, and they spark attention. Mm-hmm. They're repeatable and most importantly they reinforce whatever the big message mm-hmm. and the takeaway of the show is. Um and music since the earliest days of Sesame Street um has always been an incredibly effective learning device. I actually wanted to ask that is this something across the years that has always been important to incorporate some sort of music because I've noticed that with my own kids and you know my friends as well ever whenever there's a song you notice something different happening with your child like they get up from the couch or they dance or they jiggle a little bit on the couch and they sing it and then they're playing and you had mentioned like when they're playing and they kind of bring in the TV show um they do that with songs sometimes they're like playing something on their own and they're humming a song and i have to remember oh yeah that sounds like paw patrol <laughs> and so i'm i'm curious to know like the role of of music and songs in the TV shows that you work on It's so important. Um so whether you have musical numbers like Luna Chip and Inky, every show does not have them and every show does not have to have them. But music is used in other ways. So um music and sound effects can be uh used to communicate all kinds of things like wah 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 that's silly. <laughs> um uh, and so understanding the kind of effects that music and sound elicit in a child um is just like using the visuals so you know in grown up television language we call those formal features uh you know the formal features the sound effects you talked earlier about the pacing um the use, use of visuals to support comprehension all of those music uh have to work together to add up to something successful for whichever audience you're um working with is and the more you know your audience developmentally the more successful you'll be at reaching them um and touching their minds and their hearts um because without emotional resonance you kind of get left at the doorstep <laughs> i could understand that it's such a fascinating process to understand every all the thinking has to happen for these tv shows um you know and as a parent who watches some of them and finds some so entertaining and and also being a neuroscientist and understanding that the cognitive part and the development part in education it's just so interesting to understand how much work has to go into these shows i'm curious what's the sort of like timeline that that goes into it you mentioned with luna chip and inky where you know the characters are sort of created and then you come in uh, what's the timeline between that and it being launched i'm curious <laughs> well so there's one something called development and there's another thing called production development <laughs> it can last a very very, very I'm assuming long time. yeah <laughs> uh, and talk about the biggest group of try try againers you've ever met in your life people who are in children's media <laughs> yeah, i believe it <laughs> because you have to be persistent um you know sometimes it'll get developed along one way and they'll try to in quote sell it into a broadcaster or whoever a, a, a streamer um and directionally they don't get any bites and so they go back and they redevelop it or they get a bite and it says uh, they the it's like well we really like this but what we need is a that <laughs> and so you go off and you redevelop it until you find your home so development can take a year it can take 3 years um wow. i was really surprised i i just joined um uh not just i guess a year ago i joined a series that was in development with a very established writer creative team and we had our first lunch uh after we'd been working together for a while and i said so you know 
how long have you guys been working on it? I've got a lot of sighs at the table. <gasps> and I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. It was like wow. three, three years it took them. Um, wow. And, but once you're in production um, from soup to nuts, it's about 18 months. It's a long process. It's very long. It involves hundreds of, of talented people in many different walks of life, mm-hmm. um, you know, from animators to child development people to directors, writers, producers. Um, a very, it's a very creative and collaborative process. And then our kids get to enjoy yeah. it at home. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, my job is to give the kids a seat at the table. That's what I often yeah. say to our teens. You may think it's because I'm immature, but (laughs) maybe it is. (laughs) It must be fun to have to think of the um, creative aspect of it, but also, you know, think as an educational expert and a development expert, but then have the fun part of being a kid to, you know, what would it feel like to take it in as a child and to watch it as a child? You want to make sure that you get into their brains as well. Yes. And we use, you know, as often as I have the um, luxury of it, we use research. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, these past couple of years, it's been all online research. And I used to pride myself in uh, being, I worked uh, as a specialist in an early childhood center because it gave me, let me be around children a lot. Um, and there's nothing better for your child development ear than children. Um, and so when we can do research, and we now we do it parent-child groups on, online, Uh, you know, sort of hearing what parents say, hearing what children say, and realizing that they're not always one and the same. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, Might have different needs, I'm assuming, right? If the, uh... Different needs and what a parent thinks is adorable isn't necessarily the mm-hmm. same as what a kid thinks. So I'll give you an example. We were working on a show and we, the producers decided that instead of using conventional puppets, We were going to use stuffies and we were going to manipulate them. And we were going to have, we had a puppeteer help us with it all. And all the parents on the production love, love, loved it. Thought it was so great. And when we did the parent-child dyads, parents, oh, this is so nice. And it's so stimulating to their imagination. The kids, on the other hand, these were preschoolers. We were talking to fours and fives. We're like, It would have been better if her, the hand didn't show. <laughs> They're so honest, and that's a good point. <laughs> and so all of this sort of very grown-up perspective about what would be so charming to them and, you know, stimulating to the imagination was sort of like, I don't know, it's so much better when it, it feels like magic. <laughs> I love and that. so... It, we come at it from with different needs and different perspectives. Yeah. Um, and it's really important to remember mm. that. There are two more topics I'd love to discuss with you. And I'm saying them because I don't want to forget. And I, I, I love everything you're saying. And I don't want to miss a direction. But um, commercials is one of them. And then the last one, we, you touched on fear at the beginning. And I want to come back to that. So commercials is first because um, one thing I noticed is You know, there are studies that talk about the importance of not having apps with commercials or um, these TV shows with commercials for kids. Um, and one thing that I love about Luna Chip and Inky is that, you know, kids can watch it for free online or on their app. And also there aren't any commercials. Can you touch on that a little bit, the importance of when you're creating this or when you're working with certain networks and commercials f- for children and what we should be mindful for, I guess, as parents? Well, most preschool shows don't have a child-directed advertising, um, even on public television in the United States. 
Um, there are more like sponsorship messages, and those are adult directed. Mm-hmm. So there's been so much uh, conversation around this, and you know, sort of, do children understand intent to sell? Do they understand that there's a certain level of manipulation involved? In mm-hmm. this? My master's thesis was based on the idea people talked about all the time at the time was that children can't d- differentiate between a program and a commercial. Mm, That's interesting. Not true. Mm. Um, The metrics that people were using, the measurements, the the way they were assessing that was using adult measures, totally Uh verbal measures Mm. with children to figure out, could they tell the difference between a He-Man action figure and a He-Man television Mm. program? Well, if you use visual forced choice measures, they absolutely can tell the difference at younger and younger ages. Uh, so part of the challenge um, is how are we measuring what kids can and can't do cognitively? So whenever you read a study, it's like, well, how did they get to that conclusion? Um, more than anything, commercials are annoying. They interrupt the, the flow of concentration as well. They do. And at the same time, um, Consumer products are how most of children's media gets paid for. So there is a reason for why there's more good television today than ever Mm. before. And that is because there is a a model that can get it paid for. The model in public television is different than the model is in commercial television. But my own personal belief um, is that commercials are annoying. It's important to talk about them and Mm -hmm. what's going on in them like anything else, but I don't believe they're harmful. I get that. Yeah, you're right. The last thing I wanted to bring up was the fear aspect, because when we were talking about the three age groups, like my own children, that was something I had to be more mindful of as a parent, because, you know, when my kids, by the time my now three-year-old started watching TV, the older ones wanted to see different TV shows and they're good. They'll they'll come back to his TV shows and give him time to watch what he wants. However, sometimes he was around and they wanted to watch something. And I've noticed a difference in the age groups and the TV shows they watch and how scary something could be, you know, and it's, it could just be like a villain that has like, that just looks angry all the time or they're bigger. The villains are usually bigger and, and bigger facial features or, you know, what. Um, and then as it gets even scarier, now it's like darkness and sounds and lights. Um, and, and that you would, I could see my, my young one, we, we have movie nights too, that we started about six months ago. And now it's even more important for us to think about that. And I, I, there was a study and I forget now I will, for everybody who's listening, I will include all the links that we spoke about. You mentioned Common Sense Media. I will add that link and the links to articles as always. Um, but this particular study, I remember they had um, said that it was important for parents to, again, co-viewing, to be mindful of when the child is a little bit afraid, because that can lead to, you know, them being afraid at night or them being behaviorally different, perhaps that day when you won't even make the connection, you know, to that. What's the fear aspect from a, the the development perspective of creating these TV shows? I'm assuming we want to introduce fear because they're there. Is, is it for discussions to happen? Is it for... Um, children to be, become comfortable with certain aspects of, of everyday life? So it's it's like everything else, uh, developmentally appropriate. Mm. So a very classic story in media that has been told again and again, but with different characters and different environments, is being afraid of something in the dark. Yes. Classic yeah. fear. So we have to always do it 
remembering that these preschoolers are new world explorers and things that we don't necessarily think of as scary can be very scary to them. So even the disappearance of a beloved character off screen Mm. can be anxiety provoking for a little kid who loves that character and wants to know where, where did they go? Where did he go? What happened to him? So when we talk about fears, like a fear of the dark, or a fear there's something in the closet, or a fear of going camping because it'll be at nighttime. Um, one of the strategies we always put in there is how to, how to cope with your fear. Mm-hmm. And usually, if you take a second look, it's not what you think it is. It's your teddy bear that's making that shadow <laughs> in your room. And if you go with somebody you trust and maybe even a flashlight and you take a closer look, chances are it's Mm. all going to be okay. And so what we try to do is build in strategies and not like in a heavy handed way, things that feel organic to and natural within the story that a child might do in their everyday life. And those tools and those strategies are things that we build in so that, um, Children are a little more robust about the challenges that they face and that they realize in some of the shows I work on, we want to sort of almost recast the idea of failure and normalize it as a part, a normal part of the learning trajectory. Um, And so in taking those points of view, but taking them from the, really from the point of view of the age you are serving, Uh, can be incredibly helpful. And if you're a parent who's paying attention to that, you're going to see, what did they do? How how do they deal with that camping trip in Luna Chippeninki? They were scared. They got a flashlight and they took another look. Maybe we should do that. Let's go get a flashlight and take another look. Let's see what we find. I love that. Problem solving through through our fears. I, I love that. Lots of problem solving for sure. What advice would you give to parents who are listening to this episode and now they're like, okay, this was great, lots of info, but where do I begin now? You know, I know you gave your your list of questions and, and I encourage parents always to take out a notebook and take notes because there's always lots of information in, in these discussions. But now I guess as a short form, I guess maybe two, three steps you know, maybe have a two-year-old now or three-year-old that's starting to get more into TV, where do we begin? So media is, even though it it gets represented as a big, bad, hairy, ugly, Mm. potentially dangerous thing, my own belief after a lot of it, well, really my career's worth of experience is it's not. Mm. And that just like you would reach out to find out about whether or not explore, do I want to breastfeed or do I want to use formula? Mm -hmm. Just like you would reach out and say, when my child uh, drops his Cheerios off of the high chair 700 times, (laughs) do I reprimand him or do I understand he's experimenting with cause and effect? Or sometimes you may reach out to a friend or a parent or Um, on social media, whatever the tools you use for any of the other decisions that you make in in your child's learning and growth life, trust that you are raising a, a little human being in the making with your skills and strategies and values um, all the time. And television can be managed in exactly the same way. When you have questions, you seek answers in whatever ways are most comfortable to you, but trust yourself and your values 
if you need to, if it helps you, write them down. What's important to you? What What do you want I love that. a day in the life of mm. to look at? So that's one, number one, trust yourself. Mm. You know what you're doing. Give yourself a little more credit. Second is balance. Everything in a child's life is about balance. So one of the questions you had sent me, Sydney, was about summer activities and television. Yes. So what goes into that decision? Well, a lot of things do balance. Mm. You want what do you want for your child this summer? Hmm. Mm. I'd like them to have some healthy meals. I'd like them to have fun. I'd like them to have a consistent enough point of view about the world that they feel secure, meaning routines for breakfast, routines for lunch, routines for, for nap time. Um, I want them to, if they can't take naps, if they're giving up their nap, to have recharge time, to have some quiet time. I want them to have open-ended, um, non-instructional play just open-ended with stuff. I want them to have some socialization. Maybe I want them to work on swimming or I want them to go to the park, but all of, oh my God, do you have time for television? With, uh, I don't know how you're going to fit it in. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, time for literacy. There's so many things you want for your child, what your child's day to look like. If you are balancing out all those things, you're going to find the right place for television in that mix, because that's what it is. It is part of the mix. When people talk about effects, like cause and effect, so you know this as a researcher, you know, correlation is not causation. We There are lots of studies that try to correlate the amount of video games or the amount of television with uh, poor attention um, or with bad behavior yes. or with aggressive stuff. Yeah. What I would mm -hmm. like to add to that mix is that if television is the only influence in a child's life, meaning their parents are working three jobs, mm -hmm. this does not make you a bad person. You just do not have the stuff around you. You don't have that many alternatives. That is where you potentially can see effects. If the child is leading a relatively normal life with checks and balances for the kinds of activities they are doing, you should be just fine. Um, and they, the more you make use of this powerful medium, the more it'll pay dividends for you and your family. It's true. You know, the trust part, I think even as parents, if you notice a difference in your child, and, and I, I want to bring this up because maybe there are some parents that are seeing behavioral changes or lots of tantrums and big emotions when it's time to turn off the TV or after that. And I think it's important to say that when you trust yourself and you notice that, go back to what they're watching. So I had this mistake with my kids. It, not necessarily a mistake, but it was it was a learning part of, of my life where I wanted to introduce them to a lot of the old Disney movies I had watched. And I was really excited when my kids started watching TV. And I said, let's sit down and watch these movies. And my middle child started becoming a little bit more aggressive and violent. The villain, the bad guy, the the stepmother in, in Cinderella. And he was mean to his sister. And I... I didn't realize at first, what's going on? Why are you changing, right? You start saying, oh, we don't act this way in this house. What are you doing? And then I went back, we were sitting watching the movie and I was like, wait a second, hold on. This is what we're watching. I'm really watching these TV, these movies with him. They're not age appropriate. In my mind, I was ready to watch them, but they were not. And it goes back to what you were saying. 
it's an innocent mistake. I was just excited to show it to them. And I want to bring this up because some parents think that we, I don't make mistakes or we don't make mistakes when we understand child development, but you know, we do. We absolutely and, do. And, <laughs> and a really important thing yes. to remember is to step outside of the power struggle and make sure you see mm-hmm. what's really going on. So a big thing yeah. goes on for what's children that it? we forget about because we're parents trying to shape them and do all this heavy lifting is that yes. um, yeah. children need to have a certain level of power and control in their lives. And when you take it away from them, you get a reaction. And so here's a very standard one. <laughs> You've had enough of the tablet. It's time to eat dinner. I'm taking it away. Well, so that then the child's yes. like, take your peas and carrots. No, I'm not eating. Yeah. So, hmm, okay, here we are. Classic power struggle, right? So the parent can take a step back and say, what was that really about? What it was really about is that she wanted to finish her program and you interrupted her. So you took the control away from her and then you imposed your other piece of control. She didn't get anything she wanted. What would happen if you actually let her finish the program? It's only five more minutes and took Mm -hmm. the power struggle out of the equation. Bring the peas and carrots back, fine. Shoveling. So try to observe (laughs) what you might be playing into that you're not perfectly aware of because you're trying to get from A to B and you got a lot of things to do. Um, That's one. Mm -hmm. Two is if your child becomes obsessed with something. So this was posed to me by Mm -hmm. a a young parent, a, a father. He's like, well, I'm not letting her watch Pop Trust anymore. She's obsessed. We're just turning it on. And it's, well, now it's a big thing in the house that she can't have it. She wants to go to friends where she wants. So, okay, you, now you made a whole other thing. When your child is obsessed mm-hmm. with something, take a second look. What's really going on? Because when a child gets obsessed with something, there's usually some kind of underlying need or exploration, or thing that they want to experiment with that's going on. And probably a more productive, less power struggle role for you is to quiet down and really take a look at what might be going on there. Um, what need is that serving? Because just taking it away, unless, you know, somebody hacking somebody to, into banana peels, yeah. <laughs> um, which just wouldn't be appropriate, What's, what's really the underlying issue and mm. might you approach it differently? And that could apply to anything. Mm. It, it can apply in media. It doesn't have to apply mm. to media. No, that's true. And it's, you know, what you just described is, is the parents stepping back sometimes, right? Because you, like you said, we're so into it and it's about A to B and get this done and let's get out of the house. We have this appointment. We got to be there on time, whatever it is. But when we step back and look at how they're reacting and try to really take the time to say like, what's happening? Why is this happening? We kind of see it from a different angle and their point of view, which, which helps us understand them a lot more. The other thing I've seen a lot with parents is, and this is actually not it, it can be everything, it's, especially parents who are working from home during COVID. <laughs> it was like, what do I do? They yeah. would basically take every available toy. Yeah. This should this should be good for two hours. Yes, I, it's I, true. I assume, every available toy, every <laughs> available tablet, and the room was like 
and they were like, I, I don't know what's going on. COVID is make, making my child not able to focus. Hmm. It's like, no, actually, you just made it impossible. Yes. It was just too many forms of stimulation. It's overwhelming. One thing. Yes. Crayons and paper. Whatever your one thing is, do not overwhelm them with too many options. Then they won't make a choice or they'll go from thing to thing, or they won't stay with any one thing. It's okay to make one choice. It's okay for them to complain. Yes. It's okay for you to ask them questions, and it's okay for them to say, I'm bored. <laughs> yeah. uh, I could talk with you forever. Yes, I just posted about that online on social media, how important boredom is and how necessary boredom is. We have an episode coming up on boredom, and, and it's such an important topic. They need boredom. <laughs> they really do. And they just like they need downtime, yeah. yeah. Just like they need open-ended play. Mm. Just like they can't just—they're just not little recipients that process things. Mm. They are active, and then this maybe it's a good place to sort of have this takeaway. Yeah, do you know Dan Anderson? No, I don't. Um, so, uh, well, he's worth knowing. Um, he's an incredible uh, developmental psychologist researcher. I mean, so you know the most classic picture image of a child in front of media, right? They look like a zombie. Mm -hmm. They've got the goggles eyes on, and they're just passively sitting there gaining nothing. Well, his research was designed to figure out if that was really true. And what he learned after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of hours of videotaping children with media, is that it is anything but a passive experience. In fact, we as producers have to think about how we're guiding their attention all the time because watch a child watch television. Hmm. Okay, well, Barbie is getting stickies on her nose. Uh, there might be some toast uh, that will either end up in the child's mouth or on the floor. The dog is barking, so I've got to go shoo him away. Oh, I just heard the refrigerator open. Up I go. Yes. <laughs> there are so many things going on for a child. Somebody just wrote this note to me and said, well, but language is very passive on television. It's like, well, what would make you think that? Ask a child if it's within their comprehension. Ask them what the story is about. They'll tell you. But remember, what is the story about is a comprehension skill that kids do not get very good at until they're nine or ten. So if they tell you there was a dog and, and there was a boy and the dog, the dog was mad, that is a perfectly appropriate thing, way for a little kid to tell a story. And it becomes more and more sophisticated the older they get. But trust that they are very actively engaged in understanding and making sense of um, and in figuring out why it relates to them when they're watching television. It is not a passive experience. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. I, I could speak to you forever. I absolutely enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for taking the time me too. Uh, to chat with me today. Uh, I usually say, where can we find you and how can we, we learn from you? But I think <laughs> we just have to watch your TV shows. <laughs> Um, thank you again. And to everyone listening, I will post the links to some of the TV shows that we mentioned, including the the new Luna Chip and Inky television show that you mentioned. Thank you again, Cheryl. I hope we get to chat again soon. Me too. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.